Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast. I'm Tara Kerwin. And my name is EJ Kerwin. And we're always just so grateful to our listeners for all of our topics, for all of the feedback and amazing reviews you guys have been giving us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It warms my heart. And I think EJ's too. I know I'm not trying to speak for you. It's all right. Speak away. When we get messages on our social media around how our podcasts are helping your relationship or just yourself so much. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It always gives us the motivation to keep doing it. Not that we need it because it's our love. So again, just wanted to do a lot of gratitude today. Absolutely. And let's uh, let's jump right in because we have a pretty cool topic. I know. I'm excited. Yeah. So we have a member of our staff. She's been on the show once before. Last time she sort of spoke about pets and how they're integrated oh, into yeah. our life and what we kind of learn about our relationship sometimes through pets. And we learned so that a lot. was cool. So uh, this is Christina Piastrini. Hi. She had a background in anthropology. She was an anthropologist for years. And then she became more fascinated, wanted to make a switch into the counseling field and psychology. And she is a therapist at our center. She's a licensed professional counselor. Welcome, Christina. It's good to have you on our show again. Thank you. It's very nice to be here again. I also have to add that you're also pursuing your doctorate too. Yeah. What is your doctorate going to be in, Christina? Clinical psychology. Clinical psychology. How's that going? Slowly. Slowly. (laughs) Slowly is okay. (laughs) Yeah. What's fun about it? What's fun is that I'm doing it at my own pace (laughs) and uh, I see it more like it's a little bit of a hobby as well as uh, the pursuit of an interest. And uh, it's also very valuable uh, information uh, and uh, professional and even personal growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you maybe one more time just sort of give us a little bit of background just on yourself and how you ended up in the in the field of psychology and you know just just kind of recap for us? Well, I started out as an art student. And then I became a student of anthropology for many years, and that's why I came to the Southwest, Mm. and I worked as an archaeologist for a while. And then I realized that I was more interested in real people than material remains, Mm -hmm. and uh, I decided to become a counselor. And that's what I'm doing now, and I I enjoy it. I think it's a very challenging uh, type of uh, work, but also very interesting and uh, very rewarding at both an emotional and uh, intellectual level. I'm always just fascinated hearing your story, Christina. You have so many amazing stories, but just like how you got here and all your different talents and where you're going with the doctorate degree and your professional counselor degree. It's just, and then hearing you in our staff meetings and our group supervision, it's just always like, you make me laugh. You have this great sense of humor, but also you bring this intelligence that in my brain doesn't work that way. And I'm just like, I'm constantly learning from you for sure. I think you are very kind, Tara. <laughs> true. You really are. When I read your notes for this podcast and then remembering your notes all also coming into the first one, like it really dawned on me again, just how much sort of your academic background and your, you know, anthropological and archaeological background does inform the way you sort of look at people, you know, and, and their struggles. 
Yes, I mean, uh, that's where I come from. That's what uh, elicited an interest in counseling. I mean, uh, you know, our psychological experience, it's individual and ours, but uh, it's determined by a variety of other factors, of course, such as evolutionary dynamics, cultural dynamics. So, I kind of like to keep into consideration a variety of systems and domains in order to understand what is going on. Yeah, beyond just the surface, right? Beyond just the surface or beyond just the individual phenomenological experience. And I feel like that feels like it's so whole. It's not like you're just going through from one system and having more of this like narrow view, like you are bringing together multiple systems to try to understand an individual or a relationship system. I love that. So let's dive in. This is is a good topic. I think a a lot of people out there will relate. So today we're going to talk about the relationship between mother-in-laws and daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law specific mother-in-law and daughter-in-law relationship yes oh. why is that interesting yeah, tell or us. relevant well the relationship between mother-in-law and daughter-in-law is uh, found to be a very difficult one and that is across cultures I mean, it's not just here. I mean, this is a universal characteristic of this relationship. And uh, it is very relevant in clinical practice because uh, if about 60% of families experience difficult relationships between daughter-in-law and mother-in-law, of course, I mean, families are impacted by this. Absolutely. Well, especially because for the most part, we're talking here in in heterosexual relationship, right? Is that I assume that the relationship between the son and the mother and then the relationship between the daughter-in-law and the mother-in-law, like it creates a kind of a complex triangle, right? It creates a complex triangle. It's interesting that you bring up the possibility that maybe same-sex relationships may not function under uh, similar uh, attachment or psychodynamic as uh, the traditional family of mother-in-law and Mm daughter-in-law. So that's something that I have not researched. Mm -hmm. I I haven't read anything about that, but certainly it's a a topic of interest as well. Absolutely. That makes me curious too. So tell us about like, why is that mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship complex? Like what, what have you learned? I mean, it's just a confirmation of a very common sense, intuitive interpretation. I mean, there is a conflict of interest. Mm. There are uh, fuzzy boundaries and, yeah. and here come the problems. So the evolutionary perspective uh, explains this as being a genetic conflict of interest where uh, in-laws do not hold the same uh, genetic patrimony or uh, Mm. value of blood relatives. So there is a difference. And when uh, couples get together or form by marriage or, you know, just by relationships, there is a conflict of interest because the blood relatives are vested into the optimal reproduction and survival of their own offsprings. 
So in many ways, there are domains in, in which they have a common interest, yet there are domains in which the interest and uh, the genetic fitness are not similar. So the lack of shared genes and other fitness asymmetries in potential future reproduction between parents can lead to conflict itself. I mean, those are dynamics that operate at very unconscious levels. I mean, beyond unconscious. I mean, this is the way we are shaped. For example, the experience of keen inclusion. How do you mm. favor and love more and are more interested about the success of your own kin versus yeah. some guy next door that mm-hmm. you don't know. Mm-hmm. Does that feel like something natural? Yeah. It, yeah. The thing that jumps out to me is is the word loyalty. Is that, that, loyalty, that yes. yeah, that this sort of like evolutionary connection yeah. that the mother in law has to, you know, her offspring versus the daughter in law, son in law, whatever. Exactly. Creates like this like imbalance in the relationship where it's almost like we pretend like, oh, I love you just as much. Now that you married my kid, I love you just as much. But there's this like biological need and drive to almost always be more loyal. Of course. I mean, that's a natural one. Yeah. I mean, uh, we can mediate this culturally in some ways. You know, there are contexts that are more inclusive and people, uh, you know, view one another as being more participant to one's idea of group. And there are contexts where there is a little bit more of a separation and it's more like us versus them. Yes. And, and that plays out, you know, in, in many other uh, types of social relationships. And this is a characteristic of the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship. So there is a conflict. It's a genetic conflict, of course. And that explains for uh, the ways in which we are geared to experience this relationship. Mm-hmm. Also, th- there are psychological explanations for that as well. I mean, there is a psychoanalytical perspective, for example, and I'm not going to describe that in details. Yeah. I mean, as you know, this kind of electra-reverse complex, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, one can take this with a grain of salt, But it comes down to competition for the attention of one man. I mean, two women competing for the attention of one man. Well, And there's that old relationship that the son has with the mother that's been going on forever that started since he was a little boy, you know, and then suddenly there's this new person in who, for the most part, you know, has his almost exclusive attention. And I mean, is there research around like the competitiveness that might result between the mother-in-law Absolutely, and daughter-in-law? Absolutely, yes. Now, yes, no, there is research over uh, the type of distress, uh, some kind of qualitative research on the type of distress, is there, uh, you know, context in which mm-hmm. tensions arise. And um, interestingly, in the Western world, especially the U.S., where uh, there is a tendency to standardize our psychological experience and uh, to ideally put it or expect from it 
parameters that someone calls emotional pedagogies, which means you're supposed to feel this way and this way. Yeah. You know, everything is supposed to be under control and everything needs to be taking place in a very positive way and boundaries and so long and so forth. Mm. So people get to enter this kind of relationships with the best intentions and uh, with good heart, and then suddenly, yeah. often right after the date of the wedding, a very distressful psychological experience begins taking place. Wow. And uh, because of this lack of uh, knowledge or lack of attention, then uh, families, individuals begin experiencing confusion. Yes. Disappointment, resentment, feeling of intrusions, control, and incredible anxiety, some kind of a primordial anxiety. And uh, I mean, you can see the practicalities of how that happens. For sure. You know? What's coming up for me is, uh, I mean, I've worked with multiple couples where this is a significant issue and... And then the partner, the wife usually feels like, well, my husband's not setting boundaries with his mom and I don't feel protected. And and I've always looked at it as a boundary thing. And to bring this whole evolutionary genetic loyalty piece into it, like I'm glad now that I can provide that psychoeducation, but it would be about boundaries. Well, like this is your family unit now, kind of what you were saying in Western society. We have this like way of kind of how it should be and then then it becomes like the man's responsibility to fix it somehow. Sure, and the son-in-law generally is put on a very difficult spot. Right. For a variety of reasons. Not only because of this attachment, you know, this kind of conflict of interest pertaining emotional attachments, mm -hmm. but also because there is a need, a perceived need to continue the flow of relationships because... Uh, there are areas of cooperation between in-laws that we are also geared for. So, you know, the families need to get along and the children need to see the grandparents and mm -hmm. vice versa. And uh, the son-in-law is usually the one who is pretty yeah, much... Navigating it. Navigating it. Yeah. Or orchestrating and, it even. Perhaps that or avoiding it. <laughs> that's not an easy role to play. Absolutely yeah, not. Now when you it's bring... not an easy role to play over there. Wow, you're you're so vain. <laughs> you're making this all about you, buddy. Wasn't even thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Dara, what? So, what do you think? Like in couples you've seen, and even you know yourself, you're a, you're a daughter-in-law. What are the expectations of the relationship between you know daughter-in-laws and mother-in-laws? Oh, I feel like you're putting me on the spot here. Mom, if you're listening, mom-in-law, I love you, <laughs> but I'm just going to be honest. For me, I was immediately like expected to just like go within the family system and, okay, like we, why haven't you called today? I haven't heard from you. Is everything okay? And like, you know, I come from a pretty detached family unit, lots of trauma and I enter into EJ's family, which is like they talk every day, multiple times a day. They live near one another. It was like over what yeah. is going on? Like you just have to jump into the pre-existing system and do it the way they're doing it. Otherwise, it it's like problematic, right? 
Yeah. And then I felt like I had to be like this, like when we found out we were pregnant with the twins, I know you had a different experience with your previous marriage and the way that like they were able to be grandparents with them. And so then I felt like this level of responsibility and expectation to make sure they were like just a part of our family, like they were the parents of the twins. Like that felt really just confusing because I, I love your mom, but I also like I I just felt a lot of responsibility to like be this perfect everything, the perfect wife, the perfect mom, to make sure I'm graceful when I'm overwhelmed, to not really have feelings. That goes back to my own trauma childhood. I'm getting off here. So I'm, it, I'm in some myself. ways it's helpful and supportive, but then again, it also adds a layer of uh, stress. It, it was very helpful and very supportive, but then I felt like, I owed something. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like I was, what is the word I'm looking for? Like that I had to like provide all of this attention and time because they were supporting me. So now I'm mandated to like call, call mom. Emotional obligation. Thank you. Yeah. And I, and I, I think like in a general sense, I think what it is is like that when you come into that new family unit, that then if you at all want to change the rules or do it a different way, then you're seen as a disruptor. Mm-hmm. Not that you're coming in with your own system and just your own experiences and your own rhythms that just sort of like fit in, but it's like you are how dare you I? are perceived as yeah, somebody who's 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 ruffling, shaped, the, who's feathers. ruffling the feathers. And that's not just with you. I think that's what we've seen over yep. the years working with especially when there's a family where maybe one is tighter than the other or vice versa. Somebody who's used to having a really tight family and goes into a family where there's tons of distance and they want that connected relationship. They're like, what's wrong? Like, what's wrong with these people? Why don't they care more? Why don't they want to be involved more? Or vice versa. What's wrong with these people? I mean, they're, you know, aren't they, didn't they achieve separation and individuation from one another? Yeah. I also note that at times, and this is also, you know, the same with other domains or other uh, subject of clinical practice, the less an individual understands about what is going on, the less a person is able to express and identify and express feelings, the more this person may be prone to just experience anger and dismissal. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I yeah, can you stand understand. them. I can stand them. Okay, she is a oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Just a whole negative narrative around negative that. Narrative around that, mm-hmm. yes. Well, and then, like you said, it's like this, it's this interesting, like, blending of, like, units and with separate agendas, you know, that that you've created a new partnership with this person and you're trying to create a new relationship and a new way of life that's a blend of your two just ways of being. And then you have your, Mm -hmm. you know, family of origin hanging out there kind of influencing from the outside with their own needs, wanting things to stay the same they've always been. And then it's like, how do you all navigate it together? And yeah, how does that mother-daughter- that's what we want to know, Christina. <laughs> yeah. How do the mother-daughter have a healthy relationship? Well, it may take some work and it may take some acceptance, 
you know, negotiation. What happens that, uh, you know, there is an ongoing conflict and negotiation truces. I mean, more than one article that I have read talks about truces, which mm, means truces, yeah. some kind of uh, pattern, timeline in which they achieve some kind of uh, mutual understanding. Agreement. And uh, eventually there will be another conflict. And realignment of boundaries, right? Realignment of boundaries or recalibration, renegotiation of boundaries. Mm, I like that, the renegotiation. So in the U.S., those are the the domains that have been seen as affected and sources of distress. Mother-in-law is closer to another child-in-law then one, mother-in-law is interfering in the marital relationship. Daughter-in-law feel they cannot speak directly to their mother-in-law about important matters uh, and expect their spouse to do a good communication. And that is a very difficult one, mm-hmm. you know. That's an expectation that at times brings conflict into the couple as well. The mother-in-law is withholding, uh, is being passive-aggressive, mother-in-law makes them feel anxious. I mean, anxiety is perhaps the most prevalent feeling in this experience. Because it creates insecurity, right? It creates insecurity in the relationship. Creates insecurity in the relationship. And uh, I have a couple in in which the daughter-in-law expressed having, she's experiencing this conflict with the mother-in-law, which came kind of unexpected. She really is expressing a tremendous amount of anxiety. That's why they came to couples counseling. And it's almost like a primordial type of anxiety. Mm. So I asked this client to express the irrational thoughts about this experience. And she pretty much framed it in terms of sometimes I feel like it's either me or her. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that was a very interesting way in which she expressed her uh, instinctive perception of this conflict. That yeah. that fits into the, what is it, Electra and... Reverse Electra conflict. Yeah. Can you just, we use spell that out to people that aren't familiar with that story? Yeah, I didn't uh, really want to bring up <laughs> Sorry. too much the too much psychodynamic, stuff. Yeah. also because, uh, you know, in this case, it, you know, it goes back into the Oedipal complex, uh, and uh, we all know what that elicits to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it's that, like, bond between this between son, son and, and mother, where it's almost like this... Uh, sexual state. Yeah, like, well, it's a lo- this deep love and, like, loyalty... Sure, and and a lot of people are very resistant to this kind of narrative, Uh, you know, it's kind of annoying at times, it's very patriarchal, Mm. so mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, I mean, at the center of the conflict is the son, because of the repression of the incest taboo, displacement takes place, becomes internalized, and then realized through the choice of the marriage partner, the marriage partner who the boy chooses is unconsciously his mother. So repression causes the incest taboo, but it also results in displacement, which in turn explains the rivalry and so on and so forth. I mean, go and explain this. Well, I mean, basically that the son 
is placed into a the dynamic creates a competition between the mother-in-law mm-hmm. and daughter-in-law for the son and husband's attention exactly. and loyalty again. Exactly. I mean, the, you know, the psychoanalytic perspective also holds some kind of projection that becomes kind of a triangle in many ways, mm. you know, where this psychological conflict of love can become very toxic. Well, and how do you, how do you realign right. boundaries in a healthy way when one of the people, the, the son in this case, feels like this, like he's pulled in two directions in loyalty. They're like, I have to I have to do everything I can to create these healthy boundaries for my wife, but I have this relationship with my mother that I've had for however many years. And I years. just feel torn, like the male's feeling torn between that. Yes. <laughs> I think the most difficult uh, role is being played by the husband slash son-in-law. Mm-hmm. EJ, what's it been like, your experience, to navigate with me a mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship. Mom, I, I, if you're listening, yeah, you know I would, we love you. So I would, for me, it's it's not just about the relationship between you and my mom. It's been more about navigating the like relationship between just you and my family's way, mm-hmm. you know. And so, so my mom's stuff, mom stuff comes in a little bit, but it's more about like the boundaries of our family versus sort of the boundaries of your family or the boundaries of just like you and I trying to figure out like how do we have a sort of a system that is ours and still have them be, you know, because they're close. They're they're literally close. And so that's been hard, you know, because there is like this feeling of like loyalty to them. And if like we're at all trying to change the rules of it, like and i think you are are just as like confused about how to do that as me like how do we be respectful and loving but at the same time like have our own like new systems that arise whether it's about time energy parenting whatever it's just it's really hard so what if cuz i have a i feel like i have a great relationship with your a good daughter-in-law mother-in-law relationship but I've seen, and you've worked with couples that are, it's really that dynamic, that relationship is very uh, difficult to understand what's going on. There's a lot of unconscious pieces behind mm-hmm. it. Yeah. We're bringing in different systems, evolutionary, psychological, psychodynamic. Like how do you, when it's not healthy, when the guy is in the middle, they don't have the tools to understand what it is or even know how to set boundaries. Like, how do you help navigate them? To address Thank you. and uh, yeah. resolve or improve. Improve, address. yeah. Any of the above, Christina? What, I mean, what you were saying before, what you do with your clients working on boundaries, I mean, it all goes back to that. Yeah. I mean, uh, helping clients to express feelings and emotions, you know, getting some kind of insight, providing a little bit of psychoeducation, but then ultimately it's all about boundaries. Of course, it's not that simple because the client himself or herself in this case is part of a wider uh, family system. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it, it there may have to be some kind of family therapy, yeah. and uh, obviously the son 
or husband is a very important person in this kind of uh, family conflict. Right. So, I yeah. mean, you know, did the son achieve uh, psychological separation from the mother figure? Right. What's the level of differentiation? Differentiation. Right? Mm-hmm. If not, I, I mean, I can see Ooh. problems uh, extending to yeah. you know, the whole family dynamics. So in that case, yes, therapy, of course. Yeah. I, I feel like one thing that's important for that I'm hearing, and I think that's going to be important for our listeners to really understand is like normalizing that this is a universally complex relationship. And yes. it's, it's not that there's just something wrong with you exactly. if you're having a stress, that this is right. And if we can understand it better, that feels a little like, okay, it's like evolutionary based and it's all these other things based. I mean, I ordered a book called What Do You Want From Me? And the author is Terry Apter, T-E-R-R-I-A-P-T-E-R. And uh, she she gives a very good summary of these domains that we have uh, discussed, why this relationship is problematic, how does that affect the whole family system, what can be done. And um, I think it's pretty good. I mean, this is for the general client. I'm not talking about, you know, there may be actually family and clients who do need more than just reading a book. Right. They they need therapeutic support for sure. But reading a book is still probably like just, again, a good way to soak in some more knowledge and and more curiosity. And, And she talks about sense of humor also. You know, being able to, you know, add some sense of humor to the narrative uh, in view of relationships that are, uh, you know, already geared to be difficult. So. <laughs> right. Imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like most topics, if you can get to a place of being empathetic about each other's experience, you got a decent chance of getting somewhere with it. But I think a lot of times in, in a relationship like this where it's where it is really complicating your relationship with your partner, your relationship with your extended family or your 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 nuclear family, it's like getting some help. I mean getting somebody to, to be absolutely, that mediator. Absolutely, because the experience can be devastating, can actually be traumatic, devastating. Yeah. It can actually elicit residuals, you know, of previous trauma. Trauma, attachment trauma. Absolutely. And uh, at times, even with rational or factual knowledge, it is it may be very difficult for a person to work through this kind of traumatic confrontation and experiences. I mean, it brings into question your own sense of self. Absolutely. It can be devastating. And one thing that's just coming up for me now is just like... Even hearing, just hearing you talk, Christina, and hearing the knowledge around this, like I have more compassion for EJ's role in this, right? Yes, Like being able to have that compassion piece for the partner because usually, and I, again, I had one couple where there was no compassion. There was just this expectation for this husband to set these boundaries. They ultimately ended up divorcing, unfortunately, because he couldn't, he had to avoid. He was avoidant attachment type anyway could not do it, but there was no compassion and understanding about what his role was. So I'm hearing like, how do we gain compassion for the person that's in that role, the son, who's having to navigate 
his own process with this. And it can't just be about the daughter-in-law or the mother-in-law. Exactly. And even the experience of the son or husband can be excruciating, uh, you know, confusing, uh, ridden with guilt, uh, sense of inadequacy, mm-hmm. desperation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're we talking about uh, some really, really harsh dynamics. Oh, no, I had one couple. He literally cut off from his mother because he didn't want to upset his wife anymore because she was really exactly. upset. And then after the divorce, like now him and his mother are really close. Sure. But I mean, he had like, to make a decision yeah. that he, he he was never able to accept and live with. And then yeah. it becomes, you know, there are repercussions to these kind of decisions for sure. Yeah. I mean, maintaining kin relations is after all an imperative. Yeah. I mean, we are also programmed to want to achieve that. Yeah, I can see that. I, I just have a, so much of a better understanding now when we're bringing, talking to you, Christine, about the different systems that come into play. Like, it's not just about boundaries. Yeah. It's not just about that. So this is a problem that is not very much talked about. I mean, uh, yes, there are a lot of jokes about mother-in-laws and, you know, stereotypes. But uh, I, you know, there is a feeling and also observation that most, you know, most people actually get into marriages and relationships not knowing that in uh, most cases they're not. This kind of uh, very disruptive dynamics may jump up mm-hmm. and not knowing what that, that this is normal, that this is at times expected, not knowing how to deal with that, not knowing how to make sense with that, and falling into some kind of traps right. of having to choose either one or the other. And it doesn't have to be that way, yeah. It doesn't have to be that way, and this is certainly an arena in which family mental health, couples' mental health mm-hmm. may be very helpful to prevent resentment, to crystallize, you know, to disrupt family dynamics that are important and beneficial to everyone. So I I do recommend people to seek family therapy, Mm -hmm. couples therapy, and not discount this kind of suffering, you know, misunderstood suffering that actually takes place in more than 6% of couples and families. I want to say thank you to Christina for highlighting this area. Again, we could probably spend hours on this podcast because there's so many different directions you could go, but to really like bring this up, highlight it, normalize it, start to like take little chunks out of it is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, I think the big kind of take home from this is it's a, the daughter-in-law, mother-in-law relationship is a complex one. There's a lot of reasons for it that just are set up by our biology, like a lot of the struggles we have in a relationship. And boundaries is certainly a way in which we can go about addressing it. But sometimes it's just important that we get some help. Absolutely, because this can be a very traumatic experience and uh, it can damage the relationship, can damage family relations, sense of self and everything else. It can bring to depression, it can bring to chronic anxiety. All right. Well, thank you, Christina. Thank you, Christina. Always just so grateful for you and what you bring to our center and to couples and individuals that you work with. So 
Thank you for your beautiful brain. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. It's my pleasure. All right, Tara. Well, another great podcast. Yeah, I think so. And as always, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to the rain. Me and you, we are the same. Me and you have all the fame we need. Indeed, you and me are we. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.